0: Well, good morning, children. We're so happy to have you here today. Um, I just wanted to take this time because our children are part of our church. They're not going to be the future. They are here and now part of the church. And um, this morning, I just wanted to tell you, folks, Haley and Nathaniel and Logan and Abigail and Matthew and Riley and Lyle that and Jeremiah and Devin. We, here at Ohana Christian Church, love you guys. You guys are special, and we're glad you're part of our family here today. So, I wanted to read you this book. You might have heard this book before. It's called The Book with No Pictures. Okay? It's by B.J. Novak. If, you ever, if the name sounds familiar, you might have heard of him. Um, he's from The Office. He helped produce it. Um, and he wrote this children's book, but it has... No pictures. Hi. So let's start. The book with no pictures. Sounds so fun, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The book with no pictures by BJ Novak. This is a book with no pictures. It might seem like no fun to have someone read, read you a book with no pictures. It probably seems boring and serious, except here is how books work. Everything the words say, the person reading the book has to say. No matter what. That's the deal. That's the rule. So that means, even if the words say, "blort," Wait, what? What does it, that doesn't even mean anything. Blurf! (laughs) Wait a second, what? This isn't, this isn't the kind of book I wanted to read. And I have to say, every word that the book says, uh uh-oh. I am a monkey who taught myself to read. Hey, I'm not a monkey. (laughs) And now I'm reading this book with my monkey voice, with my monkey mouth in my monkey voice. (laughs) That's not true, I'm not a monkey. Yes, I am a monkey. Also, I'm a robot monkey. What? (laughs) And my head is made of blueberry pizza? (laughs) Wait a second. Is this whole book a trick? Can I stop reading? Please? No. Oh. And now it's time for me to sing you my favorite song, a song. Oh, no. Do I really have to sing you a Glug glug glug. My face is a bug. I eat ants for breakfast, right? Off the rug. What? That's gross. <laughs> This book is ridiculous. Can I stop reading it? No. no! There are more pages? I have to read the rest? Yeah, no. <laughs> My only friend in the whole world, whole wide world, is a hippo named Boo Boo Butt. <laughs> Boo Boo Butt? And also, the kid I'm reading this book to is the best kid ever in the history of the entire world. Oh, really? You guys are the best kids of the entire world? (laughs) And this kid is the smartest kid, too, because this kid chose this book even though it had no pictures. Because kids know this is the book that makes grown-ups have to say silly things. And make silly sounds like. Oh no, oh no, here it comes. Blur the wacko bum Aye, aye, aye. Broog, broog, broog. I mm? Eh? Black, blackity, bliggity, blaggity, blobbity, bloggly, biddy, beep, pop, eee! But donkey face. That's <laughs> what it said. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Please don't ever make me read this book again. It's so silly. In fact, it's completely and utterly preposterous. Next time, please, 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 please choose a book with pictures. Please? Because this, this is just too ridiculous to read. The end. Bonk! I didn't want to say that. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. Huh? Oh, the bird's over there. Well, thank you for coming this morning. Um, I know you guys have children's church, so um, right now you can follow your Sunday school teacher and head off to Sunday school. Let's give them a hand. Great kids. Isn't that awesome? It's so easy to amuse kids. <laughs> well, you may be wondering, um, why did I read that story? Um, it had not really much to do about Jesus or God, but it, I'll explain to you at the end of my sermon um, the purpose for doing so. But um, we just really appreciate our children. Um, I think it's really important for us to love on them and care for them. Um, as they grow up in the faith, that they come to know and love Jesus Christ with all their hearts and with all their souls and with all their minds, Um, as they walk through this life, that they become dependent upon Jesus. Um, So if you have your Bible, we're going to read a book with no pictures as well. (laughs) And if you can turn with me to John chapter 6, if you have your app on your iPhone, you are free to look at it. and if you need to check your, final, uh, your fantasy football score, because I know it's playoff times, you can do so quickly, but come back to us, okay? So the text reads like this. Sometimes after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming, coming towards him. He said to Philip, where shall I buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take almost a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. "Uh, Here's a boy with five barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather up the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning um, in this season of Advent, in this season of Christmas, Lord. And some of us, our lives are busy, and some of us... um, may be going through things. Lord, we ask that you would come and be present with us this morning, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that, Lord, you would speak through me and to your people. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here this morning. Have your way. We love you, Lord. Amen. So as we read this story, I don't know about you, but... I had a lot of questions. I'm like, "What is this all about?" I mean, it's a great story, and it's an amazing story. Jesus takes, you know, five pieces of bread and two fish, and he feeds five thousand. And that's a miracle in itself. How do, how does someone take, you know, five pieces of loaves of five loaves of bread, and feed more? I mean, what what do we have? Maybe a hundred or so in here. So, five hundred times that amount, or. Fifty times that amount? How does he do that? What a great miracle. But why does the author tell this story? What is this about? So as I read through this, I had so many questions going through my mind. I was like, what is this story about? Why is the Passover important? What's so important about that? Why does Jesus feel a need to feed everybody? The text doesn't even say that they were hungry. Why does he, have, he feel compelled to feed everyone? I mean, why not just tell them, Hey, guys, um, just go to McDonald's. Order something from the pick-two menu. It's only $3. You can get a chicken McNuggets and some French fries. Why does Jesus test Philip? Why him? Why is he even testing his disciple? Is Jesus trying to prove something to them? Or is this something that Jesus normally does? This is just how Jesus is. Why does Andrew point out, hey, Jesus, there's this kid over here with five loaves and uh, two fish. I mean, come on. He knows that's not going to feed everybody. Why point him out? Why is barley loaves mentioned? Why does Jesus withdraw instead of becoming king? Doesn't he want to be king of our hearts? Why does he run away? Is there symbolic representation of the leftovers that they gather? What is going on in this story? Now, this story here, you have no idea what's going on. I mean, if you know what's going on, please invite me to your Bible study because I really want to learn from you. But this story right here, man. So the author of the book of John, he's doing something very clever here. Okay? It's like, I don't know if you ever saw on YouTube or if you went to one of those worship services and they have the artists and they're like doing something with two brushes. They're like, yeah, and they're painting on a giant piece of canvas and they're just going for it. And you're like, I don't know what's going on. And the, he, as, as the song's coming to an end, the artist is finishing up and then he takes the canvas and he flips it over and he's like, and you're like, whoa, and your mind is blown, boom, it's Jesus. You know, when they do this in worship service, it's always going to end up being Jesus. <laughs> I just want to let you know, it's always Jesus. You can watch it on YouTube, it's like, Jesus. Okay, you watch another one, Jesus, oh, okay. <laughs> See, John is, caref- is carefully crafting this story. And he's describing to us who Jesus is with meticulous detail. Nothing is mentioned here by accident. So he starts off by saying, Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Now, if you know um, anything about their culture, this is what the rabbis did. They went up to the top of the mountain, they sat down, and they would speak to people. That is the posture of a teacher. So here, Jesus is taking the posture of a teacher, a rabbi. And then the author describes this miracle story as a test. Now, Jesus does something really interesting here. He decides to throw a party out of the blue without planning for anything. He's like, hey, let's throw a party. It's like Thomas coming up to us and saying, uh, you know what, I have a great idea for the community. Right now, we're going to plan a party, we're going to throw it. And I would be like, what? Are you... Come on, Thomas, you can't be serious. Are you serious? And I would think, he must be going crazy. I mean, it would stress me out. I would be like, I can't attend this church. If he does it once, he's going to do it again, and I'm going to be so stressed out, I can't do this over and over again but this is what Jesus did. He's like, let's throw a party for 5,000 people at the spur of the moment. The text says that Jesus threw this party and he did it to test Philip. He's like, can you imagine Jesus? Hey, Philip, come here. Come here. Um, I have this idea for his party. Let's throw this party, but... Where can we buy bread for all these people to eat? And Philip's like, it would almost take a year's wages to feed at least, you know, all these people just to have something. I mean, I can imagine being in Philip's shoes. I would have been like, oh my God, wow, what? Are you serious? Okay. Um, Best thing, maybe we can go to... Kapolei Costco down the street, hot dogs are like $1.50. You can get soda and a hot dog. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to finish it on time. <laughs> That's a huge order. Um, I don't know where we're going to get it, $7,500. That's a lot of money. Or, you know what? We could get pizzas. <laughs> I wonder if Jesus think is like, wrong, no hot dog, fail, F for you. <laughs> no, Jesus not like that. <laughs> you know, I think Jesus is what Jesus is doing right here. Is not doing a pass or fail test. He's using this as a teaching moment. You know, as a teacher in my classroom, kids take the test and sometimes they fail. But it's my policy, and it's from policy passed on from a great teacher that I know, my mother, um, who says, you know, the grade isn't final till the report card comes out. So if you take this test and you fail it, and you take it as a learning moment. I'll give it to you again, but I want you to learn from this. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, Philip, this is a learning moment. You don't know the answer, but it's a learning moment. See, because Jesus is a rabbi, he's a teacher. And what he wants to do is reveal to Philip what is God like In this gospel, the author is trying to prove to us who this Jesus is. Now, the other fact that he states is that right now it's Passover. And a Passover festival was a time where everybody would come from around the country to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover. And the Passover was to remind the people that they were once slaves in Egypt. It's to remind them of their past and what God did for them. So they come together to this huge festival to say, This is what God did for us. Remember what God did. It's a celebration that reminds them of their history. And it's a history that reminds them that they were once, who remembers? They were once slaves in Egypt. And it reminds them what God has done to bring them out to where they are today. Now, the author does something really interesting here, and you've got to stick with me on this one. Here we, he paints us a picture of John. Oh, sorry, not John, Jesus. And Jesus is feeding the people on the eve of this festival. Okay? He's providing bread for them, and he feeds 5,000. In this gospel... It's Jesus himself who blesses the bread and the fish and gives it to the people. In the other gospel stories, Jesus tells his disciples, distribute the food. But this one, Jesus is the one who's giving out the food. He gives thanks and distributes it to the people, and they could eat as much as they wanted, and there were leftovers. In fact, he tells his disciples to gather up all the food that is left over. See, he says, we're going to use this for something else, so this bread doesn't spoil. Now, there's another story in the Bible that's very similar to this, and I don't know if you know about it. It's in the second book, in Exodus, chapter 16, and I'll summarize it for you so we don't have to read through the whole thing. Jesus has brought his people out of Egypt, And they're now making their journey to the promised land. But the people are complaining because now they're starving. And they're like, why did we leave Egypt? At least we had food there. We weren't starving. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? And so God hears their complaints and their cries. And what does he do? He provides manna from heaven. Every morning when they wake up, there's manna on the ground. And Moses states, This is bread that the Lord has given to you to eat. And they were supposed to as, gather as much as they needed for that day and not keep any of it. Because if it did, it would spoil. And God did this every day for for them for 40 years. Are you with me? See the what John or the author of John is doing is he's putting up all these street signs street signs and he's saying look this is pointing to Jesus god gives bread in manna jesus gives bread god feeds the people jesus feeds the people god provides so much there's leftovers Jesus provides so much, there's leftovers. They ate as much as they wanted. The people ate as much as they wanted. The source is from God. The source is from Jesus. He's saying God is present with us right here, right now. God is present with us. And the people take notice, they notice, they're like, there's something special about Jesus. And they decide, let's make Jesus our king, let's do that. I mean, if God is with this person, who else, who better than to help us get out of the regime of the Roman Empire? Let's make him our king. And Jesus reacts, he's like, whoa, 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 fellas, that's not how I wrote and then he takes off. What? (laughs) What? Why would he do that? See, I think the temptation for us is to shape God into something we want him to be. God does not want to be and will not be limited to our own understanding of who God is. We cannot contain God To be how we imagine him to be. God will be the one that sets the parameters. God will be the one who defines who he is. Now, I know we all do this sometimes. We want God to do things for us. You know, when I was in high school, I had to take tests. And, you know, I I didn't like studying because I'd rather hang out with friends or do other things. So there'll be time on the eve of the test, I'm praying, God, I need to pass this class or else I don't want to repeat ninth grade or whatever it is, right? Or I paid a lot of money for this college class. Lord, help me take this test. But God is not our test taker. Sometimes we want God to be our genie in a bottle and grant us, grant us whatever wish we want. Sometimes we want God to be our Santa Claus and provide us with the gifts we desire. God is not our Santa Claus. He's not our love doctor. He's not our matchmaker. He's not just, you know, our Navy SEAL or our SWAT team to rescue us when we're in trouble. God is not our hitman when we're so angry at somebody. Because we're the one giving the orders. Now, don't get me wrong. It's, we're supposed to call God on whatever situation we have. But God is more than what we want to define him to be. He's, he will not be contained by what we want him to do. So, through this miracle story, we can see that God is present with us. He's not a God that is far away, but he's present here and now with us in this world. He's engaged with us. Now, out of this whole miracle story, there's one part that really stands out to me. And this is the one part that hit me while I was studying for this. It's the fact that Jesus fed 5,000 people with barley loaves. The loaves that Jesus multiplied were barley loaves. They were like love's white bread. He used love's white bread to feed the people. I mean, this bread was usually bread for the poor. And Jesus used the common thing to reveal who he was. He used bread to reveal that he is the bread of life given to us by God. This God is a God in the common things, in the unexpected. God can take the common things and make it extraordinary. God uses the common things to reveal to us his glory in this world. Many times if we look around We may find him in the subtle things this Christmas if we just take the time to slow down. I believe God is present. He's present when we hang out with friends, He's present when we just talk story with one another. You can sense His presence when we watch a sunrise or gaze at the stars at night. You might be able to sense him in music that you listen to when you're just having fun and dancing. You may be able to, like like Keith, be able to sense God by catching a wave. He's there. You may find him in the rustling of leaves while petting your cat or your dog. God is there when you're just like, you might be like just shouting Cooper and be enjoying your special spot. You may thank God when you're hugging a friend or taking a car drive with the windows down with the wind blowing into your face. He's there on Christmas morning when a child is so excited to open up a Christmas gift. And to tear the wrapping open, you may see God as a child enjoys playing with a toy for the first time. He's there when we enjoy a display of Christmas lights as we hang out with one another. God is there in the sound of friends laughing and playing. I believe God was even here when a preacher read a silly story about a silly book to a bunch of kids to show that we, as a church, love them. May you, this morning, feel the presence of God in your life this Christmas season. May you have eyes to see what God is doing in the world around you and in the people around you. May God reveal himself and give you comfort and peace and joy this Advent season. Amen.